Captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19. All new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. And with me today is my co-host, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD detective, Phil Grimaldi. How are you doing today, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How about you? You know, I'm feeling a little bit, like, exhausted from all the pace we've been keeping up, all these shows, you know, like... I'm so happy our audience is growing. People are really uh, enjoying what we're doing. But at the same time, you know, it's uh, it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of work. And it's not, the work isn't going on the air. Going on the air is the fun part, you know. It's all the other work, you know, the research, the uh, looking up stuff, pulling up pictures, all the computer work you have to do. Lord and again, I'm not complaining. Computer. I'm not complaining because I'll, I'll see people in the chat going, the hell are you, Cannon? Get lost, you know. <laughs> I'm just saying it, it gets a little bit exhausting. What do you think, Phil? Oh, absolutely. And we did a lot of shows this round. I don't know if it's five or six shows that we did, including we went on Jimmy Calandra's show. So uh there's a lot of prep work that goes into it. It's a lot of uh mental stress as well. And uh, but I love doing the live broadcast. I, I have a lot of fun with it. It's uh it's you know, a little bit of entertainment, it's a little bit of our expertise. Uh, you know, but it's not something that, you know, you can't just, uh, you know, uh, anybody could just do it. It takes a little bit of uh, practice. It takes a little bit of experience. And uh, I think we're doing good. I really liked the show we had last night with Joe Murray. I thought we uh, really uh, did some great uh, question and answer regarding the Petito case. That was a lot of fun. And, and all the cases we did this week were uh, were actually very good. The mob cops with Tommy, we got to do part two when you get back. Uh, so that's going to be very interesting. And that and that case that we did with Dan Bibb the other night, I mean, that's I'm still thinking about that. You know, that was a great I case. tell you, we had we had some week. We had some week. I thought it was like Dan Bibb was fantastic. And I in fact I just invited him on again and I asked him if he would come on. He had this spectacular bank robbery in the two four precinct on 91st Street, uh 90th Street and uh, Broadway, yes. which was a major shootout. Uh, between the police and the bank robbers. And unfortunately, during this shootout, a hostage was killed. Yes. Uh, and it was a horrible situation. But Dan Bibb prosecuted that case. And he just told me the other day that the three robbers from that, even with shooting it out with the police and having a, a hostage killed, they're out. They get out of prison already. It's it's just, you cannot believe some of this stuff. But Dan Bibb's going to come on. Uh, I don't have the date solidified yet but he's going to come on and talk about that case it was a spectacular spectacular and i knew all the cops i happened to be the anti-crime sergeant back then in the 2-4 but i was on vacation so i almost felt like survivor's guilt i almost felt guilty that i wasn't there to help my compadres you know of course and of course. uh one of the the uh cops uh who came a detective years later pat white worked with me in anti-crime and he got shot in the foot during this incident and Patty's retired now. He's doing very well, and he overcame that. But just the whole story was, is just, just, just incredible. And you know, Dan Bibb. I mean, people loved him the other night. I mean, it was just, it was just, folks. I see everyone in the chat. It's, 
It seems like you guys didn't even go to bed. You just hung out in the chat, and here you are back. <laughs> Nikki Bella, good to Love see you. Love fans. Love them. Sandra H., hey, guys, happy Sunday. Uh, it's 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 going to be in the su- uh, 70s today. Where are you? Cynthia Terry, Not great here. to see you. Foxy Doxy, Adam Adam Apple. Uh, that's a new that's a new uh a new folk, Adam Apple. Good to see you, Adam Apple. Welcome, Andrew, Adam. Andrew Santana from North Carolina. Beautiful down there. You know, guys, I know I've been talking about it, but tomorrow I'm leaving to Isla Morada, and I hope on Tuesday this is me. I hope I'm one <laughs> of the guys. I hope I'm one of the guys in that picture that catches some Mahi Mahi. That's not me, it's just a picture. I don't want people saying, no, you showed us a false picture. This is a picture of people in Isla Morada that caught Mahi Mahi. I hope that's going to be me on Tuesday. We're going deep sea fishing Tuesday and Wednesday. I'm so looking forward to the rest and relaxation. Probably, you know, when you go away, you usually need a couple days to recover when you get back, right? That could be, but I'm just looking forward to that. There's a swordfish. I don't know if we're going to catch any of those, but. I'm really looking forward to going away. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looks like it's going to be a good time, Billy. I, I got to give you a quick quote on, you brought up like survivor's guilt that you weren't working the day that there was that big bank robbery. When I was in anti-crime, my team, you know, we were very active. We were tight. And one Sunday night, it was like a, a crappy night. It was cold out. And this girl was calling me saying, I want you to, you know, take lost time, come over. So I, I leave. I take lost time halfway through the tour and I leave. And then... <laughs> I start getting calls later on, like at midnight, they wound up stumbling on like this major drug uh, operation. They recovered guns. They recovered a large amount of uh, crack cocaine and a bunch of money. And they were all in the newspaper standing in front of all of the stuff. And I was, I was uh, MIA as they say. So, you know, I Phil, I loved working anti-crime so much that I hated missing work. Yeah. I, even when yeah. I was in street crime, I loved street crime even more because we worked all over the place, you know? Yeah. And the challenge of going to precincts that you had no idea how to get around or anything. In fact, it was a little bit dangerous, but it was amazing. Like you just used your police skills that you learned to navigate that precinct. And it was like, it was an amazing feeling just to know, oh, look, I was trained how to do this. I know how to do this. It doesn't matter where I am. I can do it, you know? That was pretty cool. You know, it was good too. In those days, my early days on the job, uh, I got into plain clothes within three years. I spent three years in uniform. Then I went into anti-crime, which is plain clothes. And it was like uh, just a good feeling. There'd be new cops float, floating into the precinct from the police academy and, and rookies, so to speak. And, you know, I would always try to help them. And it would just be a good feeling. Like when we would show up on the scene or something, the guys would be like, all right, anti-crime's here. We all work great together. And like you said, and I said in the past, th- those days, I think I would have went to work for free if I had to. And it was just so much fun. And I enjoyed it. There was a lot of gratitude. Attitude, uh, from the people when you did, you know, when you made, co- you know, we, we, we made collars on home invasion robberies. We untied people and, and, and put the people in handcuffs that, you know, that came into their home and robbed them. And, uh, they could never be uh, more grateful, you know, you basically saving their lives. Who knows what would have happened, but yeah, a lot of good stories, a lot of good times. And, uh, I worked with such a great group of people in, in, uh, East Flatbush, the seven Oh precinct, uh, those cops there, they, they refer to them as the seven Oh warriors. We really were like warriors. Is. And uh, it was just a good uh, a good time in my career. You know, Marilyn Mineta, th- that's a great suggestion. Uh, just a little advice from an old Italian lady. I think you guys should do a question and answer show. What do you think? I think that's a great idea. And uh, we'll definitely look into how to do that. And I, I know Duty Ron has done I was just going to say, yeah. But he's a little more um, c- 
computer savvy than me. I'm, you know, I'm getting better at it, but I can do it through the chat, you know, but the chat moves pretty fast sometimes. Real with Robo, Cannon and Phil, can you say hi to uh, Angel and Cody, my kids' teens? They said, we love you, Detective Phil and Cannon. Absolutely. Hello, Angel and Cody. How are you? Police Hello, officer. Angel and Cody, yes. Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil. Woo -hoo. All right. <laughs> Two thumbs up. One for Angel, yeah. one for Cody. Absolutely. Cody, I hate to even say this, but my dog is Nick. Is <laughs> I don't want to compare the kid to the dog. Don't get the wrong idea. But yes, I love the name, Angel and Cody. God bless you guys. That's good. You know, it's funny. My son is uh, his name is Casey, and Casey has been used for both boys and girls. Yes. And you know, when he was younger, I would I would tell him. I said, Casey, it's not a girl's name. I go in Celtic. It means valorous. If you look up Casey, it means valorous. So he always. Whenever anyone said that to him, it's a girl's name. He said, "No, it does. It means it means valorous, wow. which means brave in, in, yeah. in Celtic." Yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, well, that shut them up, right?" <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot of names that could be used, both uh, boy and girl. Like I know uh, uh, a cousin of mine, Tony. We call it Tony. T O N I. Her real name is Antoinette, and then you have Anthony, and that's Tony. So there's uh, a little bit of the same name, maybe a little different spelling, but uh, goes to both genders. Well, it's Tony with an I, and yeah, any Italian girl I've ever seen whose name was Tony was smoking hot. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Isn't it true? <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know. It's uh, it's just that kind of. It's also Gina. Forget it, Gina. You know she's a brat, but she's a <laughs> she, instead of instead of being a Jap, she's an Italian Jap, <laughs> an, an Italian American presence, an app. I, I whatever we call it. And I, you know, they, you know, real with Robo. Uh, she says Angel's a girl and Cody's a boy, and they said, "Okay, Cannon." They call you Cannon. You know what? Is something real with Robo? I taught college. All my students, I they I'm walking down the hall. They go, "Hey, Cannon!" And I, yeah. and I like some of the professors would say that's disrespectful. I go, you know, something knocked themselves out. I thought it was funny. I liked yeah. it. You know, the kids liked me, and that's why they, they felt like a closeness to me. And so they called me Cannon. I had no problem with it. You know, they weren't really need shithead. that. Was a uh, yeah. a did I really need the professor Cannon in front of it? No, I'm not that insecure. You know, yeah. you want to yeah. yell out Cannon down the hall? I'm all right with that. You know, and then there used to be a rap tune, and they always go the Cannon. The cannon and all the all the all the guys would come in and go the cannon the cannon. <laughs> the guys, we just like to you know today I don't know if we'll ever get to the show. We're just like having a good conversation and we pulled full Phil away on a Sunday afternoon from the huge vat of sauce he's making today. He's got he's got that gigantic ore he stores it with. So you know we got to get through the show today. Speaking of that, last Sunday was a big pot of Sunday sauce with the brajol, the spare ribs, the meatballs. Today, it's a bolognese sauce, which, oh, my God. Uh, it, my wife makes a, a terrific bolognese sauce. I don't want to take credit for it. She's making it. Uh, when she started uh, off with it earlier, she's like, this is going to be a good one. I go, it's always good, your bolognese. So looking forward to that <laughs> later on. Phil, how do you stay slim? With the bolognese. How do you stay slim, man? If I was eating all that sauce and that pasta, I'm 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 doing it myself without, you know, but I gotta my when I get back from vacation, I think I gotta try to go on a little bit of a diet. I don't know. Yeah, you know, a sea I'm on a seafood diet, right? I see food and I eat it. That's yeah, the old right. the Definitely. old joke. <laughs> Charisma, thanks for the dollar ninety-nine super sticker. Good to see you, Charisma. I love your name. That's a cool name, Charisma, you know. 
and I'm sure you have charisma because you are charisma. I, I like this type of show, Billy. We're doing the afternoon. It's kind of like a coffee with Ken and a laid back show. We're having a little fun, but uh, we got to yeah. we got we got to drill down on some of the topics that we put up for for this show. You know? Yeah. No, absolutely. I'm just you know, it's good to you know, we had a really hard working week, and it's good to absolutely. just blow off a little steam here and have a little laughs and some fun and stuff. Someone in the chat just called me the uh, Mickey Mantle, the Supreme Commander. You remember that? Well, some of my anti-crime guys used to call me the Supreme Commander. I obviously, second I, that notion. I obviously, I that. named myself that, and uh, and uh, it was a joke. But they used to say Supreme Commander, you on the air, you know. And Central would go Supreme Commander, who's that? <laughs> That's the two four anti-crime sergeant Central, the Supreme yeah. Commander. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people don't realize when we're on the radio, we have nicknames so we could communicate with one another without really going too far into, you know, the uh, the actual, you know, central, can you raise this unit or whatever? So we would have nicknames in and we would send messages, quick messages back and forth over the uh, over the radio. So that's how I used to call one of my cops an anti-crime Beretta because he was always like talking to people on the street trying to get information. Like, what do you think you are, Beretta? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had that name thrown at me in the street a couple of times. They'd say, oh, well, hey, look, it's Beretta, you know, but. Uh, you know, Phil, uh, we're dating ourselves. Beretta was a TV show with, uh, what was the, what's the actor's name Robert again? Robert Blake. Uh, Robert Blake. Robert Blake. And he it was actually on. Uh, was on trial for killing his girlfriend and uh, the, the, he, he won the. He beat the case. That's yeah, right. He yeah. beat the case. And, and listen, I'm not going to pass any judgment, but it sounds like he did it, you know. Yeah, Marilyn Manetta. Marilyn Hey, Cannon. I can't wait for St. Patrick's Day for corned beef and ca- or corned beef and cabbage. Yeah, I, once in a while I'll eat that. I'm not like a huge fan of it, but just for the whole uh, thing about St. Patrick's Day, and I try to raise my kids with some, uh, you know, feelings of being Irish because my my wife is is Jewish and my uh, side is obviously Irish. So we tried to give them a little bit of that, you know, and um, so they they understand that they they're half Irish, you know. But uh, I'm not a big uh, corned beef and cabbage fan. But uh, look, corned beef you got to slap on all that mustard, then you can eat it, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know what, Billy? You might be Irish, but you got Italian taste buds, my friend. Oh, I love Italian about. food. Yeah. It's my favorite food. Is Italian? Yeah. Forget yeah. it, man. Yeah. You know? We do the corned beef and cabbage. We'll have it on Thursday as well. As a matter of fact, uh, we were in the supermarket the other night. And we were going to pick it up. And it was a little early. It was like a, a week or so ago. So we'll pick it up this weekend. Yeah, we definitely do the corned beef. My kids happen to love it. And, uh, you know, they're like like half Italian, half uh, half Spanish. and uh, But they love that corned beef and cabbage. They really dig it. You know, it's a great meal. Like you said, <laughs> you slobber on a little mustard. It's great. I tell you, Phil's house is like a culinary paradise, man. Every day they oh. get, they're cooking up something new, you know? <laughs> Listen, my mother-in-law lived with us up until a couple of years ago, and she was with my kids from when they were born until, like I said, a few years ago. And she was the most unbelievable cook. We miss her Irish soda bread. She used to make Irish soda bread this time of the year. With yeah, that's the raisin good, man. And my kids oh. would, they'd have that for breakfast for a week because she'd make a few of them, you know, and uh, all the different things. And she would be sitting watching TV, watching Emerald. She'd see what he was cooking, and she'd tell me, I'm going to make that. She'd go out, buy all the ingredients, and then the next day there it was, you know. So well, we missed that's that. Pretty cool, man. Mother, yeah, yeah. So, folks, uh, when I come back from uh, Isla Morada next week, most most of the next week is uh, I'm not going to come back till Thursday. So, we may not do a show till like Friday or actually next weekend. Uh, I'll probably do something from down there if I can do something on my phone. 
Maybe the gigantic fish I catch, I'll I'll take pictures of it or videos and send it back here. But uh, we need we need a little bit of a break, though, right, Philly? Absolutely, absolutely. I can't say it enough. It's good to have a little break. But listen, that doesn't mean if something breaks heavy duty in the media that we won't be on it. I'm sure you'll have your phone, your laptop. We could always uh, jump on and update all of our uh, subscribers and throw out some good content. But you know what? Let's hope. I I just wish this war would end. I mean, it's wall to wall news coverage and it's disgusting to see these things and it's terrible. And, and, you know, the, the motives for this war, it really puzzles me, you know, the, the things that are being done, uh, you know, Putin with the oil and all of that. And, and by us not buying it, it raised the price. It made him stronger. I don't know if that's uh, such a, a smart move on our part, but uh, I guess that's a story for another day. All right, let's get to, uh, we spent like, we spent 16 and a half minutes talking about just uh, spitballing or just uh, chucking the shit, as they say. Yeah. And um, today's topic, we're going to talk about the Jussie Smollett case. Oh, and, I'm uh, you weren't following it. He was sentenced and uh, he was, it was the second time he was tried because the first time he was tried was an out and out joke. And uh, I don't think the prosecutor, she was on his side. When you ever see a prosecutor on the side of the defendant, Anyway, Phil, you got some information on this one. Yeah, go uh, listen, everybody knows who Jesse Smollett is. It was very heavily covered in the media. He obviously staged uh, a racial uh, attack on himself. Uh, he was a star of a television show, and he wanted more publicity. I don't know, maybe he thought his stature was going to increase in Hollywood. But uh, when the whole thing went down, right from the start, it was clear that it had been staged. I think when he was interviewed by the police uh, after calling 911. He still had the alleged rope, the noose around his neck. I mean, who would do that? If you were uh, attacked and someone put a rope around your neck, I think immediately upon uh, being freed or getting breaking away, you'd remove that rope. Even, you know, you might save it for the police, obviously. But so there were, there were questions right from the jump. But um, I just want to make a statement. I read this in the paper about uh, Kim Fox, who was the prosecutor, after he was diet, indicted, uh, she wound up dropping the charges. But Chicago's top prosecutor, Kim Fox, called the justice, uh, I'm sorry, called the Jussie Smollett prosecution a failure of justice. This is the other day after he was sentenced. Um, there's a few other things that she said in here. Just because we do not like the outcome, this is after she dropped the charges against him. Uh, should not mean that the bully uh, that we bully prosecutors and circumvent the judicial process to get it changed. Smollett was indicted, tried, and convicted by a kangaroo, kangaroo prosecution in a matter of months. Fox wrote. Meanwhile, the families of more than fifty black women murdered in Chicago over the last twenty years await justice. Now, I don't think that that really plays into this. It's it, listen. Everybody deserves justice, but what does one thing have to do with the other? Um, shortly after grand jury returned the 16 count indictment against Smollett in 2019, Fox made the decision to quietly drop all charges against him after he agreed to forfeit his $10,000 bond and complete some community service hours. Now, again, that's really ridiculous. He's indicted on charges of 
faking a racial bias attack. Now, what it does is it it, it lessens uh, any, God forbid, future uh, victims that they might be questioned or they might be second-guessed. And it really uh, is, is a very sensitive topic in our country. Racism and, and race relations, they've been really uh, stressed in recent years. And him to go in and, and do this ridiculous, ridiculous stunt uh, it's just it's disgusting. It smelt of a cover-up right from the beginning. And then you have uh, the prosecutor in the case dropping charges against him. Well, there was a judge uh, that decided that uh, uh, he wasn't going to stand for that. And the quote from the judge was, the missteps ultimately promoted, I'm sorry, prompted Judge Michael Tuman to appoint a special prosecutor, Dan Webb, to reinvestigate, reinvestigate the case ruling that Fox's handling of the master rife with unprecedented irregularities and a second look was necessary to restore confidence in the criminal justice system. I applaud the judge. I couldn't agree more. It no, was Phil, a I got a little bit of a file tape. Let's let's show a little bit of this. I think this is pretty interesting. Uh, let me put it on the screen here, and we'll play it. Way beyond anything else that can happen to you from me or any other judge that could be sentenced to this criminal case. You are now a permanently convicted felon. Your family who loves you and supports you, I only want to use the word forgive because forgiveness isn't even necessary. They're with you so much. They're so tight-knit, but you have to live with the fact that you really put them through a ringer. You've embarrassed your valuable friends in high places, the elected public officials, people in the media. You've embarrassed them. You have to live with that. I don't know if those relationships relationship to be repaired. You become toxic in your own workplace. Your career uh, future is uncertain at very best. It was really on a rocket ship uh, to success, and now you've, you've turned yourself into riches to rags, and it's so unfortunate. Your very name has become an adverb for lying, and I cannot imagine what could be worse than that. People talk about uh, situations where somebody's uh, lying and trying to manipulate maneuver a story and, and your name comes up and it's, oh, pulling a justice, something like that. That's awful. You're the butt of jokes. Comedians, mainstream talk show hosts, they make jokes about you. They do skets, uh, sketches about you. I, I can't imagine anything worse than that. No, this is all self-inflicted. These are things you did to yourself. This is self-damage. Well, some people may think that what you did is funny. And that's, there's some room for humor or jokes about it. But I assure you, this court does not. I don't think there is anything funny at all about hate, uh, hoaxing and faking racial hate crimes. Hoaxing or faking homophobic hate crimes. I think that is disgraceful. There is nothing funny about it. There's no humor in what you did whatsoever. All because you're selfish, arrogant, narcissistic. At least you have that side in you. That, that came out through this case, and, and you kept doubling down and doubling down and doubling down. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. And I'm your sentencing judge, and I don't find it funny. So that, where are we at? We're at the end. You're convicted of a class four felony. It's presumptively probationable, but we have some real serious aggravating factors here. Your premeditation, which I've described, the pain you've caused to real victims of hate crimes, which I have described. The damage you've done to the city of Chicago, I've heard. It's been, it's been talked about. I'm mindful of the city's request for restitution. And I, 
if I'm going to fashion that, uh, consider that request, I have to fashion the sentence accordingly. And above all, the capper of all cappers, your performance on the witness stand. This could only be described as pure perjury. You got on the witness stand, you didn't have to, you did, you certainly have a right to, but you committed hour upon hour upon hour of pure perjury. And I find all those to be ample factors. If this court were to decide that the things you did, that any kind of probationary sentence would deprecate the seriousness of the offense and you need to go to the penitentiary, the record is clear and it would support it. But I'm looking at everything in its totality. And I agree. He's told to me today, you can't judge everybody by one bad thing they've done in their life. I don't know if it's the only bad thing, but it's the only bad thing that I'm concerned about now. And that you do have quite a record of real community service and quite a record of attaching with people. There is a lot of mitigation in this case as well. And I'm mindful of the pleas of mercy, particularly from people that are in the arena of dealing with social justice issues that are fighting, seriously fighting, not playing around, not doing games like you were doing, but seriously fighting for matters involving hate crimes of all sorts. And they're asking you for mercy as well. So I'm trying to consider who you are as a person, how you got here, how somehow you strayed away from your family values. You let that dark, narcissistic, selfish, and arrogant side come out. And you persisted with it for years on this case. I'm fashioning the following sentence. And here's your sentence. I'm sentencing you to 30 months felony probation. And the probation is going to be to this court. You're going to be allowed to travel wherever you want. You do not have to live in the state of Illinois. You can report by phone. I know that if you're going to try to make a living and do some of the things you do, you may have to go to other places, New York and Los Angeles. You can do those things. You will pay restitution to the city of Chicago in the amount of $120,106. You are fined $25,000, which is the maximum fine. And you will spend the first 150 days of your sentence in the Cook County Jail. And that will start today, right here. So that's his sentence. But tell you the truth, I think he got off really light for yes, what he yes. did. And folks, if, if you don't know, when you get sentenced to jail, that means you're in a jail. You're not in a state prison. He was eligible go, to go to state prison because he was convicted of a felony. But the, you know, what a felony means is, is a crime the way you can be sentenced for a year or more. And a misdemeanor means less than a year. The judge just gave him 150 days. So that's less than, um, what is it, five, five months, five months in jail, not prison, in jail. So he's in the Cook County Jail. And then you heard he had some fines. He, had, he has to pay uh, some restitution. He's got to pay for the Chicago police's over time because of this hoax. And it really was a hoax. He made it up and he damaged, he did a lot of damage to, uh, to a lot of people. You know, he did damage to the credibility of the next victim. That's what I think he did. It's disgusting. Uh, that judge really set him straight. I loved uh, everything that the judge said. Um, you know, uh, Marilyn Mineta uh, posted a comment. How was this about 
race, black on black. Where's the race? Crazy kid. Now, the thing is, he didn't say that the perpetrators were black. He said that they were white, that they were MAGA, uh, make America, uh, make America great again, uh, white Trump supporters. So that's what this was all about. Uh, it turned out that those two men on the screen turned out to be the perpetrators that he enlisted and paid to actually slap him around a little bit, beat him up a little bit. And all of it was caught on videotape. Uh, they eventually found these two, they cooperated, they, uh, you know, they wound up testifying against them and he was found guilty, but his narcissistic behavior, uh, Billy, I don't know if you're going to play it, but he goes on a, a, what I call an EDP rant, emotionally disturbed person rant, but it's clear his narcissistic behavior was behind that rant where he claims that he's not suicidal. And, you know, he, he's trying to just, uh, produce more publicity for himself. I'll play a little bit of this right now. LGBTQ community, Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this, and I am not suicidal. And if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself, and you must all know that. I respect you, Your Honor. I respect your decision. Jail time. I am not suicidal. Okay. Mr. Uche, let me inquire. Are there any post-sensing motions you care to present right now? Yes, Judge. Yes, Ms. The defense would wish to present a motion to reconsider sentence right. and file it in standard. Right. Uh, it, is, it is timely filed. Thank you, Judge. And and let me say, I've obviously considered the sentence at great length, uh, and, and it, it's timely filed, so it's preserved for purposes of appeal. The motion to reconsider sentence is respectfully denied. Is there another? What, what, one second, Randy. Anything else? Just a second, just a second. Is there going to be a notice of appeal filed? Yes, Judge. Uh, we, we, we're filing a notice of appeal. We're going to be emailing it to the clerk right now, to the office. You, you're doing it in standard? And are, you going, to, are you going to be handling the appeal? Uh, Judge, as of now, yes. Well, you have to commit to yes, the appeal. Yes, the yes we're filing a notice of All right. Notice of appeal may be filed. Charlotte, and now I need the prosecutors to work with Charlotte, the probation officer, to work out probation specifications with the conditions I just explained. 150 days in the county jail, restitution, fines. Oh, and also uh, as well, that, that's statutory. So you have to fill out the probation specifications. And I'm gonna get somebody to help you do that. We need to get that done in standard. Anything else today? Yes. Your Honor, if I may, in light of the notice of appeal, we would ask that you suspend the jail sentence in light of the notice of appeal. Did I do what? Suspend the jail sentence in light of the notice of appeal. That will be respectfully denied. Yes, Mark. Mr. Lewis. Maybe can be stayed in light of our notice appeal. No, I'm not staying. No, no, no. The wheels of justice turn slowly, and sometimes the hammer of justice has to fall, and it's falling right here right now. I'm not. Good for you, Judge. That was the greatest line. The wheels of justice turn slowly, and sometimes the hammer of justice has to act quickly you know? that's right and uh so i mean look I, I don't think we need to cover much more of this so, you know i my feelings were that um he got a very light sentence he deserved to go to state prison for what he did he did so much damage you know and in light of all the actual racial incidents that have occurred of course we looked at the george floyd thing with chauvin the officer chauvin and that damaged the profession of policing throughout the nation, throughout the world, probably, his actions. So even though, Phil, you and I and all every police officer 
that straps on a gun and puts on a badge every day and goes to work had nothing to do with George Floyd's uh, murder. They suffered for it, and they were Absolutely. made to pay for it. So just as Jussie Smollett should be made to pay for this egregious crime that he committed, damaging race relations for his own selfish uh, reasons. It takes a lot of guts to do what that judge did. And I'm going to read his name. Um, Michael Tuman. Judge Michael Tuman. Uh, I think that it took a lot of guts to do what he did. He sent the message uh, not only to Hollywood, whoever wants a, a stage a hoax, you're going to have swift justice. Uh, Kim Fox tried to let him out of this. And that judge said, no, I'm not having it. He sentenced him properly. I think uh, the sentence could have been a little more harsh, like you and I both said, Billy, but he gave him the maximum penalty of $25,000. He's paying the overtime costs, uh, and he's going to be on probation for 30 months. Uh, he didn't slip out. He didn't slip through the cracks. Could have been a little bit more time in jail. And, you know, they're looking for him to stay the uh, sentence while they file their appeal. Uh, appeal is going to take a lot more than five months probably. So, and the judge said, no, 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 no. He goes to jail today. I loved it. And uh, it's time to move on. Absolutely. You know, folks, this is police off the cuff, real crime stories. If you like our show, please subscribe to us on YouTube. Hit that subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Give us. That and if you up. want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels. And also you see the people with the green font in the chat. Those are our YouTube channel members, which support us, and we're so thankful for them. And lately, we're seeing a lot of new people's names uh, coming on and subscribing to our channel. We really appreciate that. We're growing. We just went over 25,000 the other day. It was a long time coming, and we're really excited about that and excited about further building this channel. So, folks, we're going to talk a little bit more, and Phil's got a little more on Alec Baldwin. It seems like he can't stay out of the news, and we're going to cover a little bit of that today. Basically, um, there was a story in the, in the Post yesterday, a two-page article by Maureen Callahan. Um, there was a lot that was said about this lawsuit. His attorneys uh, reacted uh, about the lawsuit, and they wrote a brief. But there was one specific statement that I wanted to read. Um, this was, uh, basically, uh, by Alec Baldwin, Baldwin's attorney, the gun used by Baldwin, it reads discharged a live round. So she responds, yes, an inanimate object. When I say she, the reporter Maureen Callahan, yes, an inanimate object pointed itself and discharge, discharge such a soft verb then fired the bullet that killed a young wife and mother. So again, they're trying to make. Uh, the victim, uh, they're trying to put blame on her. They're trying to say that she told Alec Baldwin to point the gun at her. She told him, raise it up and raise it up. So this is like uh, when they tried to blame a race, a rape victim for wearing, uh, revealing or racy clothing that she wanted to be raped. This is blame the victim at its best. It's disgusting. And I think that this, uh, this lawsuit is just, he's digging a deeper hole for himself. He's, he's killing himself in the, uh, the world of public opinion. Uh, how could you possibly blame the victim in a situation like this? She was trying to do her job. Uh, unfortunately, somehow a live round got into that gun. If there was not, uh, flagrant viral violation of safety protocols that have been in place for quite some time. 
this would have never happened. And uh, for him to take the postures he's taken, it shows his narcissistic behavior. And I think it becomes blame the victim in this lawsuit. It's terrible. I can't even imagine what her husband, Matt, and the family is going through. But uh, again, uh, they, it just doesn't stop. I, I think that there's an old saying that if you want to get out of a hole, you have to stop digging. He just keeps on digging. Yeah. I'm going to just show this was made by the Hutchins family attorney, this little very powerful, almost like robotic characters, but very effective. You know, in that case, he was interviewed by the police after that. He said hours later he didn't realize he shot her, which is just out-and-out out nonsensical because, you know, a forty-five caliber revolver makes quite a loud explosion, Phil. You know guns. You've fired guns. And to say he had no idea, I'm sure there was blood all over the place. And not only that, the bullet exited Helena Hutchins and hit the director, Joel Souser, in the shoulder. So for him to say he didn't know what happened is just, again, doesn't pass the smell test. It, it would have been immediately clear within seconds that two people had been shot. So that that statement is, that goes along with uh, he didn't feel guilt and someone is to blame, but it's not me. And, you know, I just wanted to show that the front page of the post yesterday, uh, she killed herself. This is the assertion that, He's making, I'll do it again. Uh, this is the assertion that he's making based on his response to the uh, to the lawsuit. So, again, uh, how do you blame the victim in a situation like this? It, it, it's really disgusting. And he's basically saying that because she was directing him or giving him, uh, uh, you know, uh, saying to raise the gun up, raise it up, raise it up, that now it was pointed in her direction. And then he says, okay, can you see that? And He's uh, she's telling him or the director's telling him to pull the trigger back. So he's putting all the blame on other people. And listen, we we said it a dozen times. We know he didn't intentionally uh, start out that morning to kill this woman. It was a horrible accident, but uh, it's, it's an accident that could have very easily been prevented had they followed the right safety protocols. And uh, that live round should have never been on that, uh, on that set. There was one other thing in the, st in the story real quick. Um, they also tried to say that it was a happy go lucky set. When Baldwin uh, got on the set, everybody was in harmony. Meanwhile, that morning, the morning of the shooting, six people that were involved in that production uh, resigned and left. So there was no harmony going on, on that production. There was a lot of complaints being, uh, being, uh, you know, uh, hurled at the production crew. Uh, people were uh, staying at hotels that were over an hour away to get to the location, to the set. Uh, all different things. Uh, shots going off accidentally previously to this shooting. So, uh, you know, they, they were running fast and loose. And unfortunately, this young lady and that assistant director, she played with her life and, and he took a bullet to the shoulder. Well, I feel like to understand that moment, you have to remember the, the shock we were in. And I spoke with Mr. Baldwin and was just looking for a way through the storm. 
was he seemed distraught during that time. There were a lot of emotions for yeah. sure on yeah. both sides. Hutchins, who's filed a civil suit against Baldwin and other producers and crew members on the film, now expressing outrage with Baldwin's recent interview, where he says the actor shifted blame over the death of his wife, Helena. I feel that 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 uh, someone is responsible for what happened. And I can't say who that is, but I know it's not me. But watching him, I just felt so angry, just so angry to see him talk about her death so publicly in such a detailed way, and then to not accept any responsibility after having just described killing her. He said, essentially, he felt grief, but no guilt. Almost sounds like he was the victim. And hearing him blame Helena in the interview and, and shift responsibility to others and, and seeing him cry about it, I just feel like, are we really supposed to feel bad about you, Mr. Baldwin? So do you think that the, the majority of the blame lays on Alec Baldwin? The idea that the person holding the gun, causing it to discharge, is not responsible is absurd to me. Every individual who touches a firearm has a responsibility for gun safety. But gun safety was not the only problem on that set. There were a number of industry standards that were not practiced and it, there's multiple responsible parties. The suit, which alleges at least 15 safety practices were disregarded on set, claims there was a wider culture of cost-cutting that ultimately led to Helena's death. Folks, we covered this in great uh, specificity, in great detail, so I'm not going to go over this again. It's just, you know, like we spoke, if you watched the show last night, we spoke with uh, attorney Joe Murray in regards to the laundry attorney, Stephen Bertolino, he got himself in trouble too because he spoke too much. He was going on too many TV shows. He was trying to show, I don't know if he was trying to promote his law practice or what he was trying to do, but if you go and put yourself out there and talk too much, you're going to say the wrong thing. You know, some of these journalists and Ashley Banfield is fantastic. They know how to, they know how to ask questions. She's, she's been doing this for years. She's a professional. So if he thought it's like us going into the arena of an attorney on the stand, that's really the attorney's arena. And we trained and we know how to testify. However, most of the time that this, the rules are in favor of the attorney, of what he can ask you, how he can ask you, the pace he asks you, how he's trying to get you to say certain things. That's his arena. Same thing with the arena of the journalist is you being on TV and being under those spotlights and thinking you're going to be able to match wits with an excellent investigative journalist. It, as you saw in the case, I believe, of Stephen Bertolino, he got he got taken to the cleaners by Ashley Banfield. She took him to school for sure. But, uh, Bill, real quick, I just wanted to read this. This uh, is referencing what I said earlier. Um from the moment Bald now this is from the lawsuit. From the moment Baldwin uh, arrived, from the moment Baldwin Baldwin arrived, reads the film filing. The morale on the set 
and the camaraderie of the crew was apparent. Everyone seemed to be enjoying the experience. Rust film was proceeding smoothly. And the reporter Maureen Callahan calls that another lie. So again, they're, they're making these statements. They're, they're trying to cover their tracks. They're trying to protect him from the, the civil liability. But once people are interviewed and they make these statements, I mean, one of the first people to file a lawsuit was one of the people that was working in the production. And uh, so I think they're going to paint the right picture, not that lie that everything was going along smoothly. Uh, Brenda Sisson, I hope I said your name correctly, arrogant, <laughs> having or revealing an exaggerated sense of one's own importance or abilities. Brenda, you're 100% correct. Thank you, know, you, Brenda. That, you know, sometimes we're in situations where we're not comfortable and we're, we're going to be bested. It's like someone who's very cocky that goes into a, an interrogation with a detective and thinks he's going to come out on top. A good detective who's a good interviewer is going to shred 99.9% .9 of people that he's going to interview because that's his arena, you know? That's his arena. It's like, Phil or I going into the cage with a UFC fighter. I'm jumping out of that cage. <laughs> I'm not going in. I'm not going in the first thing, but I mean, that's an extreme, extreme example, but uh, we got to have a few uh, moments of levity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. No, but I think it's, it's, it's actually a, a comparison. You know, when you go into uh, any situation, especially testifying on the stand, that's not an easy thing to do. That's very difficult. But I've always said that when I work the case, I know what the facts are. I know the interviews I did. I know what the evidence is. And if you're secure in that, no matter what they throw at you, if you have the right frame of mind and you're confident of your evidence, it's not going to be that hard to get through that. It's actually quite you know, stressful because when you go to hearings, there are just the judge, there's some prosecutors, there's uh, the district attorney that's on your side, and there may be some family members of the perpetrator in the courtroom and stuff like that, you know, the court officers. But when you're testifying at an actual trial and you have 16 jurors sitting in the jury box, you know, it's, it's 12, but they have four alternates usually. And then you have the whole courtroom and everyone in that room is focused on your testimony. It is quite intimidating. But again, if you have done the right thing, if you have done your job correctly, it's you're just going to repeat the truth. You're going to be fine. Yeah, I mean, it, testifying is uh, is is a tough thing to do. I mean, it's because uh, I don't know, if folks, you realize, but sometimes when we testify, we're on the stand for three, four hours sometimes, and it's you know, it's not so easy to recollect things that occurred yesterday. Ne never mind a year ago which is when most cases go to trial a year to a year and a half after the actual occurrence. So just think to try to remember very specific things and to answer correctly. And any discrepancies attorneys use to impede your uh, competency. And that's, that's how they create doubt because the prosecution has to prove guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So We've all been on the stand, and uh, I mean, I never loved it. I think I was pretty good at it, but I didn't. Uh, you know, Brenda Sisson, you must have Webster's Dictionary in front of you, but I'm just going to read this also because I, li I like it. Stubborn, having or showing dogged determination not to change one's attitude or position on something, especially in spite of good arguments or reasons to do so. 
Thank you, Brenda Sisson. That's it, though. You gave me two excellent definitions, but you're correct. You know, stubborn and arrogance is, uh, you know, two traits that Alec Baldwin certainly possesses, you know. I would say he's an expert at those two traits, but uh, I thought you going to put narcissism on the screen too, you know, and then yeah, yeah, he's clearly falling into that category, I think, as well as the other guy that we were talking about, Jesse Smollett. This narcissistic behavior—it's something that it just comes through. It's like they can't control it. Uh, he's the victim, meaning Baldwin, uh, not this young lady that was killed. Uh, trying to blame her. Uh, True, true. You could look up uh, the dictionary and you might see Baldwin's picture when you look up narcissism, you know? You know, the the the, the thing about this, too, is the civil case. Of course, um, you're going to defend yourself. However, you know, his time to defend himself is when it goes to court, not in the court of public opinion or the court of social media or the court of any kind of media, because that doesn't matter. That truly does not matter. You know, Billy, listen, anybody could have an accident. And even if he stood quiet and didn't, uh, you know, do all the ridiculous things that he's done, he still could be found criminally liable, criminally liable. But I just think that he would have garnered a little bit more of maybe a sympathy from, uh, you know, from the general public or his fans. I think he, he alienated a lot of people. And you have fellow actors, big names, George Clooney, Clint Eastwood, that came out and they were outspoken about the statements that he made in that interview with George Stephanopoulos. So uh, I, I would think that after that, uh, you really have to be narcissistic if you continue. After that, you have fellow actors that are calling you out and saying, what you did was wrong. I would never do such a thing. That's the time to really shut him out, and he didn't. And, and now with this filing by his attorneys, uh, I mean, listen, they do have a job to try and protect their client, but to put blame on the victim, not good. It's not a good look. Oh, look, when we had Dan Bibb on the other night, he said, if I was his attorney, I would, you know, I would put a gag on him because yep. he's got to shut up. He's really hurting himself, by, but he can't help himself. That's who he is. You know, yep. that is definitely who he is. I just want to play a little bit of this. This is the Hutchins attorney talking on uh, News Nation. Put him on the screen. Responsibility lays off fault on others when, in fact, but for him shooting the gun, Helena is still here today. You know, you go squarely at Alec Baldwin in this lawsuit. You know, he said the gun just went off by accident. It, it wasn't his fault. What are the areas where you think it was, quote unquote, his fault? Well, first of all, he refused any gun safety training, number one. Number two, he pointed a gun at someone on a set. You don't do that without plexiglass and other precautions. Number three, why were there bullets in the gun to, believe, to begin with, whether they be fake or real? It was only a lineup. There was no intention for him to shoot the weapon. He wasn't supposed to shoot the weapon. Nobody expected him to do that, yet he recklessly fired the weapon while pointed it at three people, killed one and injured another. That is reckless, Dan. It doesn't happen on movie sets when people follow rules, but his lawyer was wrong. Brandon Lee was killed on a movie set by a bullet. And so Baldwin, again, is in complete denial, accepting no responsibility. And we look forward 
to letting the, the folks, the community in Santa Fe County determine his responsibility. Do you think he should be charged with a crime? Well, Dan, I'm not the prosecuting attorney. We're told them we will fully cooperate and it's up to them, but there is laws in New Mexico that would support it, but they're independent. We're not getting involved in that decision. Either way, we intend to prove our case that Mr. Baldwin and others acted recklessly and caused a death that was senseless, that never needed to happen. And it's a tragedy. And it was caused by the cost-cutting and lack of safety measures undertaken by Mr. Baldwin and others. Has Lena's family changed its views on Alec Baldwin since they were together in the days after the shooting? No, in fact, their, their views were never uh, one way or the other. Mr. Hutchins, Matthew, met with Mr. Baldwin several times. He's been very cordial with Mr. Baldwin, but he's just trying to find out what happened. He's not taking a position with Mr. Baldwin. He just takes the information in and assesses it to himself. Would your clients settle this case or are they determined to take it to trial? Well, you know, Dan, most cases settle. We certainly are willing always to discuss it, but we're looking for answers. And until we have answers and we use the court process to subpoena witnesses and documents to find out what really happened. And Mr. Hutchins and others want to know why did this happen? What was the cause of this? We think we know. We've done a thorough investigation, Dan. We spent months going to the scene interviewing witnesses that were there before and after, obtaining documents, hiring expert witnesses. We take this very seriously. We seriously invested the case, investigated before making these, these contentions in a lawsuit that we can support with facts and evidence. You know, as a legal matter, the defendants are going to claim this case should be dismissed because this was a workplace incident and thus should go through the state's uh, worker compensation system. What do you make of that? Well, first of all, Helena uh, was a independent contractor. She was not employed by them. She had never worked for them before. She brought her own tools and, and skill to the job, and she was an independent contractor, so it wouldn't be barred by workers' comp. And additionally, in New Mexico, if you were able to show reckless conduct on behalf of the employer, that case proceeds. So I would invite their lawyer to look at the law in the state of New Mexico. Uh, bottom line, the, the family is now, is it fair to say, pointing the finger of blame squarely at Alec Baldwin? Definitely pointing the finger at Alec Baldwin and others who were responsible for safety on the job site and cost cutting. It's not that this just happened as a fluke. There was a number of steps and, and policies that had to be violated for this to happen. And it was clearly reckless. And we're going to prove that. Very impressive attorney, you know. I was just about to say that he's he really just man. was very simple in the way he stated the facts. He stated the law. Uh, you know, Baldwin's attorney is looking to go the way of saying, "Oh, it's a workman's comp issue." Oh, really? Really? Did workman's comp fire the gun and kill Helena Hutchins? I mean, but this is you know this is all part of the investigation of applying the law. You know, when you in a civil case, everyone gets sued. I'm sure they're suing every single person on that set, including the the people that own that whole that whole studio there. Uh, they'll be suing the Rust Production. They'll be suing unions. They'll be suing the armor. They'll be uh, suing the people that uh, provided the ammunition. Everyone gets sued. 
You know, that lawyer made such a great point when he said it was just a lineup. And what that means is they were setting the camera. They weren't even filming that actual scene. It was just uh, lining up where he was going to sit, the positioning of the gun. So it should never had anything in it, whether it be blanks, uh, whether it be uh, uh, fake rounds, whatever. There should have been nothing in that gun. All they were doing was setting up. They were setting a lineup, they call it. And it's clear, it's clear that they frigged up. I don't want to use the word, but they really frigged up. Uh, and, you know, it cost that young lady her life and, and Sousa took the bullet in the shoulder. So I thought that was one of the best points that he made in that interview. And again, uh, very articulate, very confident in his statements, very confident in the facts. And uh, I think he's, he's doing a fantastic job. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, Phil, again, we said we're going to do, we're going to do 35 minutes. Low I know, okay, 55 minutes has gone by. And folks, what we want to do is, you know, this, this, of this whole Baldwin thing and the rush shooting of Helena Hutchins, we're expecting soon for the um, Santa Fe, New Mexico district attorney to come out with a decision as to whether charge the case criminally or not. We don't know when that's going to come out, but the investigation has been going on and it should be happening relatively soon. Uh, the civil case will not proceed till after uh, the decision is made by the district attorney. But we're going to keep you apprised of all of that. We're going to cover this case. Uh, as, I, as I said, I'm going away tomorrow, uh, and I'll be away for um, – here's where I'm going to be. That's going to be me on Tuesday <laughs> catching that swordfish, I hope. <laughs> but I'm going to Isla Morada. Phil's going to uh, – He's going to study his cookbook while I'm away and come up with some new recipes for coppers in the kitchen. But uh, we we sort of need a break. We've been working pretty hard, and we're having a, I mean, we're having a great time. This could be me too in the catching mahi mahi. But uh, we're looking we're looking forward to having some time off and then coming back. And we got some really cool stuff lined up in the future. Phil, final words. Final words. That last picture looks like they ran into a school of mahi-mahi. So good luck, Billy. I want you to enjoy yourself. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Um, looking forward, we have a few things lined up. Right off the bat, we're going to do a part two episode of Tommy Dade's uh, regarding uh, the mafia cops, Louis Impolito and Stephen Caracappa. That's going to be an exciting show. Uh, we're lining up Dan Bibb again. We're lining up Patricia Domango, who is a Supreme Court judge who's now on the television show Hot, Be Hot Bench. She has a, uh, a cookbook that's just out. We're also lining up the former chief of detectives, uh, Robert Boyce, who has a show on television that I was just on last week called New York Homicide. So uh, again, uh, all of these things are going to be scheduled. Looking forward, we're going to have a great uh, future with the show. We're trying to put out the best content possible. We appreciate everybody giving us the thumbs up on the subscription of YouTube channel. Uh, we get a lot of views on Facebook, guys. If you can, just slide over to YouTube. Give us that thumbs up. It'll help us to promote the show and continue doing uh, the great contact, uh, content that we're doing. We'll continue uh, the work. And uh, it's all part of uh, a family. And uh, we consider all our subscribers a family. So thank you guys so much. And uh, Bill, enjoy your uh, enjoy your time off. And uh, I'll be stirring the sauce while you're gone. <laughs> That's good. Folks, have a happy Sunday. Thank you for tuning in today. And we'll, we'll see you uh, sometime uh, next week. Have a Stay great safe, day. everyone. One episode.
Jesus in the north. 